Welcome to this week's Think Jewish. This week, we're going to be reading from two Torah portions. One is the regular annual cycle, and this week is Tazria. And then the second Sefer Torah we're taking out, or for those shoes that only have one Sefer Torah, um, we'll actually roll the Sefer Torah to a second place, and that is for Parshat HaChodesh. Why is it Parshat HaChodesh? Because that will finish the cycle of what we call the four Parshiot. You read before Purim, um, before, before Purim, you read about the shekel, the half shekel, that's called Parsha Shkolim. Then the Shabbat before Purim, we read about Parsha Zacha, the laws of Amalek, because Haman comes from Amalek. And then you read the Torah portion that we did last week, which was the red heifer, reminding us that every Jew has to purify himself. Normally it's only a Kohen, but every Jew has to purify himself because every Jew has to eat on a specific date. The eve of the, four, of the 15th of Nisan has to eat from the Passover sacrifice. So everyone needs to be pure. So they instituted that you read the Torah portion before the month of Nisan because it's a seven-day process with the red heifer for those who would need it, attended a funeral or whatever it may be, came in contact in the same room with a, with a dead body. And then the last Torah portion is the first mitzvah that the Jewish people received as a people. And it was still while they were in Egypt. It was the law of Rosh Chodesh. The lunar, to create the lunar side, the calendar based on the lunar orbit and to make the month of Nisan the first month. Based on these two concepts of the Parsha talking beginning with the laws of childbearing and then the second Torah portion of HaChodesh, we've come up with this lecture which is titled, Will You Have My Baby? A Biological Clock on Fire. Let us begin. There's a teaching of our sages that says as follows. The Torah speaks of his supernal beings and hints to the physical inferior beings. That means that the Torah in itself does not talk directly to the physical world and the physical creations. Rather, the Torah actually talks to the spiritual source of everything down here. And that hints upon how we should deal with down here the physical beings. So, give you an example. One of the Ten Commandments is honor your father and mother. We know it very simply, right? Your father, your mother, and you owe them life. They brought you into this world. So, simply speaking, there's a commandment, honor your father and mother. It's one of the Ten Commandments. However, in essence, what we're learning in Kabbalah is that the true supernal manifestation of this commandment is that father represents wisdom, mother represents bina, understanding, consummation between the two is the process of knowledge, dot, and from that union comes forth the offspring, which is emotions. Simply speaking, there's a mitzvah in the Torah that says, you shall love God, you say it every single day in your Shema Yisrael, the Ahaftat Hashem Alakecha, you shall love God your God. And how is that commandment done? How do you create love? And the answer is exactly what I just shared with you. If you focus with deep concentration in your power of wisdom and your power of understanding, and you study with great concentration on the greatness, the goodness of God, 
and you study how for God is my life source, then that focus and concentration of the intellects, especially when it's consummated with that, which means I'm not talking about a God, I'm talking about my God, the personalization, the inner hakara, recognition that we're talking about me, not a philosophical or theological discussion. We're talking about me and my God. Then the outcome of that father and mother will be the offspring of love. So all of a sudden this entire commandment of honor God, honor your father and mother is really a spiritual commandment. Then there's the manifestation, the way it comes from the source up there to down here. And the way we read the commandment is very physical. You have a father, you have a mother, you're not allowed to sit in your father's seat, you're not allowed to call your mother by her first name, so forth and so on. So I'm just introducing to you that the way we study the Torah down here, according to Kabbalah, the Torah only hints on how the physical world should run. But in reality, it's talking, it's directing its words to the spiritual realms and the spiritual beings. With that being the case, we're now going to carry that same concept to the beginning of our portion. The beginning of our portion, the way we study it, is very simple. There is a male, there is a female, they got married under a chuppah, they had a child, and now there's the laws. There's the laws of the aftermath of having a child, depending if you had a boy, depending if you had a girl, and all the laws and the sacrifices that the Torah portion speaks of. So again, when we look at it that way, according to the opening Zohar that I shared with you, what we're doing is we're talking about what the Torah hints to. But obviously, reflect upon what I just told you and honor your father and mother, so obviously we're talking about a whole different dimension. There is the supernal man, there is the supernal woman, there is the supernal insemination, and there is the supernal offspring. That's what we're going to explore here today. How does this entire mitzvah speak in the more supernal realms and what that means to us? Okay? With that being said, please understand that much of Kabbalah, much of Kabbalah focuses on this anatomy of the evolution from the infinite to the finite. When we talk about Svirot, we talk about olamot, we talk about hechalot, we talk about partzufim. These are all different supernal beings. Now, Kabbalah is very much into the study based upon what I shared with you, that the Torah speaks to these supernal beings, and, and that's what the Torah is really talking about in the laws and the mitzvot. So Kabbalah is very focused on understanding the anatomy of this whole evolution that God created and the more we understand it then we understand the real quote-unquote reasons behind the mitzvot and that's the Kabbalistic study. Hasidus on the other hand even though it quotes a lot of Kabbalah it's not focusing on understanding the anatomy of the supernal beings and how they fit into this chain of the evolution between the infinite omnipotent God and the finite physical creation Rather, they're focusing more on the life force of it all. 
focusing on how the mitzvot play a role for only one reason, so that then we can come back down here to the physical world and do the mitzvah with much greater joy and much greater commitment because of how enriched we are with the spiritual knowledge of what mitzvot are doing up there simultaneously as we perform them down here. A lot of Hasidis is based on that. There are actually books in Hasidis which are all called Ta'ameha Mitzvot. It talks about the spiritual reasons for mitzvot because when you realize that when you do something down here, what it does all up there, it gives you so much a greater fire and passion in, in the commitment and the joy of doing the mitzvot. So we're going to discuss that today concerning this mitzvah. This whole mitzvah of a man, a woman, having a baby. Okay? I want to now veer away from there a moment. And let's go now to the second topic for tonight. And you can see it's all one. The Medrash says as follows. That when God created the world, he set a beginning called Rosh Hashanah. And he clearly says on Wednesday that the orbit of the sun and the moon shall control the seasons. Primarily the seasons are controlled by the solar orbit. And thus we have Rosh Hashanah being the beginning of the annual cycle. That's what God set as a beginning, a portal, when he created the world. Then says the Medrish, once God chose Jacob and his offspring, and he was going to take them out of Egypt, and he was going to bring them to Mount Sinai and give them the Torah, suddenly he introduces a new beginning. The new beginning is the monthly beginning. Here we're told that this is the new month. Look at the birth of the new moon, and that is Rosh Chodesh, and that's a whole new cycle, and this cycle will begin with the month of Nisan. If you follow the outcome of this, which is quite humorous, is that our New Year's is the first day of the seventh month of our year. It's, you know, you're, regularly, what's New Year's? New Year's will always be 1-1, one, one, whatever year it is. By us, it's not. The verse clearly says, on the first day of the seventh month. Why? Because God instituted a whole new cycle. We need to understand what this new cycle is. What was bad with Rosh Hashanah? Why do we have to create a Rosh Chodesh Nisan cycle? So understand that the word Chodesh comes from the word Chadash. Something completely, completely new. It's a whole new cycle. So the concept of the creation was a certain set cycle based on nature. In other words, if you look into Genesis, what does it say there? It says clearly that God set that a mist shall arise, and the mist will go up from the earth, and it will irrigate, it will water the entire, the entire world. God created a cycle of called Mother Nature, that mother nature cycle is an external system which just plays itself. It's set on its rotation of the life circle. 
That's just simple. Then, now that God was going to introduce to the world the Ten Commandments given to the Jewish people, He is now creating a whole new beginning. And this whole new beginning is going to be a portal to a far more magical world. So there's the world the way God set it up with Mother Nature, which it comes from the Ten Utterances, and God said, let there be light. And God said, let there, and God, everything is speech. And then there's a whole different new beginning, which is about to be introduced at Mount Sinai. Okay? Okay. What I want to share with you is that these two concepts, the concept of the supernal family, the supernal husband inseminating the supernal wife, and giving birth to supernal offspring, and this concept of the Rosh Chodesh cycle, from the word Chadash, new, not just an external cycle of life, these two are really two halves of one coin, two halves of one story. So let's introduce us to the supernal family. Okay, many of you have heard the story of Mount Sinai. Right? Many of you have heard that God held the mountain on top of the Jewish people and told the Jewish people, either you accept my Torah or I'm going to drop this mountain on top of you and here will be your gravesite. So much so that the Talmud takes God to task for this. Because in God's code of Jewish law it says that someone that commits to something under coercion he is not accountable for that which he committed to. Therefore, our sages clearly say, The Jewish people can always answer God that our commitment to accept your Torah and mitzvot is not real. You can't hold us accountable for it because it was done under coercion. And later, the story of Purim, that was rectified. But the point I'm making is that this story is very real about coercion. God threatened the Jewish people. I asked all the nations. They said no. One nation has got to say yes. You're the last one, yes. So basically I'm asking you, but it seems to be like a Russian elections. You have the right to vote for the only one candidate that we're presenting you with. This question has only one answer. Yes, or I'm going to drop the mountain on you. Hasidus tells a whole different story. Hasidus tells a story that the mountain is the overwhelming, protruding love of God. And the mountain was held over the Jewish people as a canopy, the chuppah, on the wedding day between God and the Jewish people. So now all of a sudden we have what? Now all of a sudden we have a supernal husband, the groom is God, and then we have a supernal wife, Knesset Yisrael, the Jewish people. The whole concept of Matan Torah was actually a wedding day between the each and the Isha, the man and the woman. What was the supernal insemination? The supernal insemination was the Ten Commandments, Torah. Now, to understand what exactly this means, the, the uh, supernal insemination, let's go back again to the two beginnings. The Ten Utterances the entire story of creation 
if you have dabbled in any form of fashion with any teaching of Kabbalah, you've come across this one magical word called Tzimtzum. Have you ever studied Tzimtzum? Have you ever came across that word? Tzimtzum. What does Tzimtzum mean? Tzimtzum means contraction. Because the entire story of creation is God contracting His infinite light. The entire story is that the infinite needs to step away so that the finite can become. That's basically the story of Tzimtzum. So that means that the ten utterances of, crea of creation, from Bereshit, to let there be light, let the waters gather, all those things, let the earth give forth, all that concept of God said really means God contracted. God pulled out the essence of self, the essence of the infinite, and allowed only for a finite expression to come forth. That is Rosh Hashanah. What are the Ten Commandments? The Ten Commandments are quite the contrary. Concerning the Torah, I'm going to quote to you verses and teachings. Number one, in Parsha Truma, it says, V'yikhuli Truma. The word Truma, we're taught, stands for Torah Mem, the Torah that was given in 40 days. And what is the teaching? V'yikhuli Truma is that when you learn Torah, you're not taking my Torah, you're taking me. Another statement from our sages, the mystics. Ki hu parach. He and his wisdom, blessed be he, is one. Another teaching, the first word of the, of the Ten Commandments, Anochi, by the way, is not Hebrew. In Hebrew, it would be Ani. Interesting, many people don't even know that. The first word of the Ten Commandments actually is not even Hebrew. It's not from the Holy Tongue. But either way, the word Anochi, why, why did God choose Anochi and not Ani? So our sages tell us, because the word Anochi is an acronym. I, my soul, my essence, and my writings have placed. Thus, what we're seeing over here is something very different in the Torah. The Torah is the notion of giving essence. Creation is the notion of concealing, contracting. What a difference. Let's talk about these two different beginnings. Rosh Hashanah, creation. Rosh Chodesh Nisan, leading up to the giving of the Torah. What did God tell Moses at the burning bush? Why will you take the Jews out of Egypt? All of Passover is only for one reason. In order that you will bring them to this mountain where they will serve me. So Pesach is really the beginning of Shavuot. It's all about the Ten Commandments. So Rosh Chodesh Nisan is this new beginning and portal to something which is completely different than anything Mother Nature has ever experienced. Because Mother Nature depends upon God concealing, contracting, pulling out. While on the other hand, the Torah is all about giving of essence. Now let's talk about this. I want to share with you two types of givings. One's called face-to-face -face and one's called back-to-back. -back. Understand this and you'll understand the difference between the Ten Utterances and the Ten Commandments. What is one type of giving? So, Mr. Simon enters into a contract with good faith, signs the contract, and only after he signs the contract does he find out that due to the fine print, he was swindled out of $10,000. What does he do? 
He has to give the $10,000. End the story. One form of giving. He signed a contract. He has no choice. He's going to give those $10,000. Put that on hold for a moment. Now I want to introduce you to little, little Goldie. Goldie is eight years old, and Goldie knows that her mother's birthday is coming up. So Goldie starts saving up her little pennies. She decides she's going to buy her mother a birthday present. And what does she do? She collects together 8036 cents. She goes to the perfume store, puts it on the counter, and says, Sir, what perfume can I get for this amount of money? And as she says that, she adds on, but please know it has to be a special perfume. It's for mommy's birthday. She comes home with that bottle of perfume, excited, and gives it to her mother. Her mother may very well never wear that 8036 cents perfume, and especially not in public. However, what does she do with that bottle? She puts it right there on her dresser. Why? Because her daughter didn't give her perfume. Her daughter gave her herself in a perfume form. Let's talk about the two types of givings. Face-to-face, back-to-back. In the, what happens in the contract? What does Mr. Simon tell this Schmendrick who tricked him? He tells him that this giving has nothing to do with you. I'm not giving you of myself. I'm not starting a relationship with you. The only reason I'm giving you this is because that's my signature on the contract. But you have nothing of me. Take the $10,000 and never cross my threshold again. Back to back. I'm giving you what I have to give you because of a, an external reason. What's that external reason? My signature, a contract. What happens with Goldie? That's a face-to-face relationship. What happened there was that Goldie gave herself to her mother in the form of $8,036 perfume. But she didn't give perfume. Every time the mother looks at the bottle, what does she see? Some cheap third-class perfume? Or she sees Goldie's love. She sees Goldie saving up penny by penny, trying to give herself to her mother. Ten utterances, ten commandments. The ten utterances, please understand that our sages say that creation is the doodling of the master artist. Why? Because no matter how great you're going to look at the seven wonders of the world or just look at in any hospital, any birthing room, and you'll see wonders of God, all that awesome wonders is a degradation for the infinite light. How embarrassing it would be for God were someone to say God's masterpiece is the universe. Because all you have in the universe is the degradation. Compare planet Earth to any spiritual realm. And this is not the masterpiece. So the ten utterances is really what? It's not the face-to-face relationship. It's God contracting, God concealing. And what is God saying? 
God is saying the only reason I'm creating you world is because of signature on a contract that I have. Which contract? So just look at the first Rashi in the entire Torah. Bereshit, Bet Reshit. Why did God create the world? For two things that are called Reshit. What are the two Reshits? The Torah and the Jew. In order for the Jew to fully, fully be able to do Torah and mitzvot, it needs to be a physical world. So that means the entire world is an external product. It's a doodling. It's a back-to-back -back relationship. Mother nature is set up on a system that works mindlessly so. Only because one day there will come the Ten Commandments and open up the new portal, Rosh Chodesh, bringing a whole different dimension into the Ten Utterances. Let's talk about having children. Hasidus has a very interesting question. How can a blind father and a blind mother have a seeing child? That's a physical fact. A blind mother and a blind father can get married and have a child who will see. And obviously, Chassidus has a question based on one very simple notion. How do you give what you don't have? According to Kabbalah, that's impossible. You can't give what you don't have. So what, what is going on here? So it explains as follows. In the essence of every single being, there's no such thing as a blind person. The definition of a blind person takes place in the retina, the optic nerve, the brain cells, as we know from stroke patients. But in the essence of the soul, the essence of the being, where the power of sight represents wisdom and that, and then the power, this notion, there is no such thing as a blind soul. There's such a thing as a blind person. But the blindness does not happen on an essence level. The blindness only happens on an expressive level. Therefore, were the child to come from anything less than essence of the parent, the child would be blind. But the reason why the child is not blind is because the entire magic of insemination is where one parent gives to the other parent from the essence level of their being. So the entire process of will you have my baby is actually the transmission of essence, the exact opposite of the Ten Utterances. What are they? The Ten Commandments. When I tell you, and I quoted to you before three different quotes, which is three of numerous ones, that the Torah is where God placed His essence into it. The Ten Commandments is the exact opposite of the Ten Utterances. The Ten Utterances was all about contraction and hiding. The Ten Commandments was all about God placing His very essence into the Torah. So you now understand that the Chuppah, the Mount Sinai Chuppah, the supernal groom, God, the supernal bride, the Jewish people, the insemination was the giving of the Torah. When God gave the Jewish people the Ten Commandments, which are literally, literally His essence, just as, forgive me, the semen, the sperm, 
is the essence of the person who gives it. So the supernal insemination was Matan Torah. So if you really think about it, what happened at Matan Torah was the chuppah, the wedding between the supernal husband and the supernal wife. God is marrying us and asked us one and only one question. What was the question? Will you have my baby? That is what God asked the Jewish people at Matan Torah. Because the entire world, Mother Nature, He only gave the ten utterances. You can't make a baby out of ten utterances. You can't make a baby if you're going to give everything but yourself, but your essence. What happens in the process of making a baby is that you give your essence. And thus, for the first time ever, when God found a perfect uterus for His insemination, the Jewish people, the humility, the humbleness, the transparency, the obedience, when He found this Jewish people that said, first we will do and then we will hear, He found a perfect uterus to be able to carry His baby. And therefore, at that moment, at Matan Torah, there was the chuppah, the husband, the wife, and the yichud, which took place with the supernal insemination. God gave us his essence via the Torah. No more just external mother nature. We're now talking about the ultimate. So understand, creation didn't have the twinkle in Goldie's eyes. There wasn't an essence relationship, quite the contrary. There was a frustration at the degradation. How did I let you swindle me of $10,000? There was that frustration in God when God created. How do I know that? Look at a very simple teaching of our sages. Every single day it says, Yom Echad, Yom Sheni. Right? First day. But when it comes to the sixth day, what does it say? We say it every Friday night by Kiddush, Yom Hashishi. Why the Hashishi? Why the prefix Hey, which means the? You don't say Yom Ha'echad, Yom Hasheni, Yom Hashlishi. But on Friday we said Yom Hashishi. And our Rashi quotes our sages and says very simple, God signed a contract with the world that there's going to come a sixth day, Shishi, there's going to come the sixth day of the month of Sivan in the year 2448 when the Jewish people will be asked, will you accept my Torah? And God made a deal with creation. You, ten utterances, all depend upon the Yom Hashishi at Mount Sinai. Because if the Jewish people are not willing to have my baby, I have no need for any of this and any of you. So now you understand who is the supernal man, who is the supernal wife, what is the supernal insemination, what's left to be explained is what is the supernal offspring. What Torah, the seed of God, empowers the Jewish people to do is to be able as egocentric beings to perform selfless 
acts of goodness and kindness. Number one. Number two, what the Torah gives the Jew is to be able to do a theocentric teshuvah. Do you know what people what theocentric teshuvah means? It means that I'm not doing teshuvah because God's going to put me in hell, because God's going to punish me, because that teshuvah is not theocentric, it's egocentric. It's all about me. I want bracha. I want mazal. I don't want my soul to go through damnation. That's not theocentric teshuvah. Theocentric teshuvah, the Alter Rebbe explains in Tanya, is when you focus on how the king feels when his only child prince was caught by the enemy in prison and what kind of joy you create within God when he finds out that his only son, the prince, broke free and is returning home. That is why true theocentric teshuvah is not done with tears, it's done with joy. The tears are only there to break out of the prison, to feel the pain so that you can break out. So staying in prison, in spiritual prison, becomes unbearable. But the actual process of teshuva, if it's theocentric, it's not about you, not about how embarrassed you are, not about what's going to happen to your soul if you don't rectify things. It's all about God. The Torah gives us that power. The Torah gives us the power to have self-sacrifice. It arouses within us that power. Just as the seed arouses within the ground the power to grow, so too the seed of man arouses within the womb of the woman the power to reproduce. So too the Torah arouses within the uterus of God, the Jewish people, that power of complete selflessness. To be able to have true self-sacrifice. True self-sacrifice does not mean just to die for God. True self-sacrifice means to overcome the I want, I need, I can't. That is the supernal offspring. And that's what God is asking us. Will you have my baby? I know that you are part of the ten utterances. And thus you are stuck in the egocentric. But I can impregnate you. Pre I, didn't say, I don't think I said that word right. I can impregnate you with something which is beyond the Ten Utterances. It's the Ten Commandments. You can live a theocentric life where the acts of goodness and kindness is just because it is without ulterior motives. Teshuva is not done of fear of what's going to happen to you. Rather, it's done with fear of what you're doing to me and how you're hurting me, your beloved God. Self-sacrifice is about getting past the I want, I need, I can't, and God has to fit into it. It's rather being able to simply let go and accept God's will for you. Thus, you have a whole new dimension to the first mitzvah of the Torah, and now we understand why Rosh Hashanah isn't enough. We understand that the ten utterances was a back-to-back -back relationship contingent on a contract called Yom Hashishi. Now comes the next step, introducing the Ten Commandments. The ultimate moment of the marriage of Matan Torah understanding what God gave us. 
and understanding God seriously asked us, will you have my baby? Will you do selfless acts of goodness and kindness? Will you do teshuva that's not about you? Will you be able to really let go of your will and simply accept my will for you? That is the supernal offspring. It says clearly that the offspring of the righteous is their teachings of Torah and their ma'asim tovim, their good deeds. The last thing we need to emphasize here before we go into the enclosing part is that understand after 2,000 years of a long, bitter, and dark galut, God's biological clock is on fire, our biological clock is on fire, and it is extremely important that we imminently say yes to God, we will have your baby. It is extremely important that we bring Mashiach now by doing and creating and having the next offspring of God, a selfless act of goodness and kindness, a theocentric teshuva, and really letting go of the I want, I need, I can't, and opening up for God's will for us. Here goes the in-closing. I know that most often when you hear me say the words in-closing, you know that I'm about to ask you to do a mitzvah. Well, yes and no. Today's in-closing, I actually want to share with you a magical story that happened with me. The magical part is just that a lawyer gave me free legal advice. And here's what happened. Years ago, I had a Jewish meeting with a lawyer. No, not a solicitation. Just really a meeting in which we were to get to know each other Jewishly. So we got into discussion, and I asked the lawyer at the time, how'd you get into law? What happened when you graduated? And he told me, and I literally quote, I graduated law school with knowing everything but how to be a lawyer. And so I went to a seasoned lawyer to get some practical advice. The advice that the lawyer gave him, I actually do. And I'm actually asking each of you in closing to do the advice of the lawyer. The seasoned lawyer told him, on your desk you are to position a picture of your wife and children in a fashion where both you and the client can see it. When it comes time to discuss fees, look at the picture and remember why you're charging. And this way you'll be able to quote your fee with pride, with joy. That was his piece of advice. My friends, if you want to know what the Chodesh feeling is like, if you want to know what supernal insemination is like, have a picture of the one you love. And then when you're sitting in your office and you're absolutely sick and tired, exhausted from what Mother Nature is doing to you, and when you really have to ask yourself, why am I doing this anyway? Why do I put up with the people I put up with? Why do I put up with the situations I put up with? Why am I going through this? Pick up the picture, lean back in your chair, and touch the faces in the picture. 
what you're going to feel is a surge of Ten Commandments flowing through ten utterances. You're going to feel a surge of Chodesh flowing through Shana. And if you can really close your eyes, you will actually feel how God is simultaneously touching your face and blessing you with that Chodesh power of unconditional love. That's a whole different type of relationship. People, thank you.